This world is plagued by chaos, harshness, and difficulty. Its unforgiving landscape hardened by sin like a barren rock lacks sympathy and love, leaving us feeling isolated, defeated, hopeless, and alone. Yet Christ has not called us out of the world, but sent us into it. Why is this? When we look closely, we can see his divine fingerprints, the very marks which allow us to look beyond the fleeting moments before us and through them to the vast expanse of eternity. It is here that we can joyfully acknowledge that every moment of our lives is significant and holds great purpose. A purpose to embody the life of Christ in every circumstance that a watching world may know Him. This is the life that shines like a light in the darkness. This is the book of Philippians. Well, who is ready to jump into the book of Philippians together? Oh, it's going to be so, so much fun. My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here, and I love the book of Philippians. It's one of those books that, for some reason, it just doesn't matter what you're going through or uh, what is going on in your life, but it's one of those books that you can wake up, uh, you can brew a pot of coffee, you can sit down. Uh, with that coffee and open up the Word of God to Philippians, and there will be something in there that will speak directly to whatever may be going on in our lives. Um, because number one, well, it's the Word of God, and the Spirit of God speaks through the Word of God. But number two, Philippians is just like that. Um, if I were to ask, you know, how many of you guys are fans of Philippians? How many of you guys would raise your hands to that? And if we're Christians, it's like a trick question because the Bible should be like, you know, we're all a, a big fan of the author, right? And so uh, we love Philippians. But, um, you know, of course, uh, every book of the Bible has uniqueness to it. Um, and, the, and the book of Philippians is uh, no different in that way. And so as we step into the book of Philippians together, it will be very exciting to recognize uh, that, that everything we walk into in this book is going to be an encouragement to live life for Christ in the midst of any and every circumstance. It is the gospel applied to our lives and to uh, our story. You know, um, from, a, from a Christian perspective and from a biblical perspective, we recognize that God is at work in our story, that God uh, is utilizing everything that we walk into and walk uh, through for his glory and for our good. But the reality is, is for those who don't know Jesus, for people who don't know who God is and don't know what he has done and, and don't know the life that he's called us to live, uh, we cannot help as a human race to look at our lives and determine if our lives are going well or going poorly, primarily based on what? Our circumstances. The, the things that are taking place uh, in our lives and in our stories and, and around us, the way we are interacting with others, the way others are interacting with us, uh, the way that the things that we're pursuing in life, if those things are coming our direction or they're out of our reach or our grasp, 
A lot of times we look at life as human beings and from a human perspective, and we ask the question, how's it going? And we answer that question based on the circumstances around us. If someone comes up to you and says, how are you? Uh, The stock answer is good, right? But if you're going to get a little bit below the surface and you're actually going to speak to what is going on in your world and what is going on in your life, uh, a lot of times you'll uh, describe that life based on what's happening. For me and my wife, uh, we're parents of two young children. We have a two and a half year old daughter and a four month old daughter. And so our life, if you ask, how is it going, is based solely on how many hours of sleep we've had, right? Um, And for those of you who are parents, either you're walking through that right now, or you remember those days, you're like, oh my gosh, (laughs) I miss the little babies, but I don't miss the lack of sleep, right? And for you, it may be a little bit of a different type of evaluation. Maybe you look at your life and ask the question, well, how is my life going? And And the way that you answer that question is whether or not maybe the things that you hoped for and dreamed for when you were a little person, a little young, uh, a child growing up and getting older and whether or not you achieved those dreams. So some of you are very disappointed that you're not astronauts, uh, that you're not professional athletes. Uh, You know, things didn't just quite turn out the way that you hoped uh, that, that they turned out. Maybe you evaluate your life on whether or not you feel like you've been uh, uh, all that you were created uh, to be. Uh, maybe if you are um, kind of in that stage of raising children and, and, uh, and, and trying all that you can do to, to grow them into young men and women who love Jesus, maybe you're just really kind of trying to survive uh, this phase of your journey. And as kids are uh, growing in your household and as, as they're getting older and you're recognizing all these pressures that the world is placing upon your children and you're just hoping to be able to grow them into the people that God has called them to be. And maybe you're really just kind of uh, hoping to get through that process uh, without an absolute train wreck uh, within your family's story. Uh, maybe for you, it's, uh, it's, it's career-driven. It's, it's uh, you know, what was I uh, hoping to do and be by this stage of my life? And I, will I uh, get to the end result that I'm hoping for by the time uh, I retire? All of us evaluate our lives and whether or not they are going well by different measuring sticks. Maybe it's a combination of all of those measuring sticks. Maybe it's uh, uh, different for each one of us in its nuance. But the reality is that as a human race, we tend to grade and evaluate our life based on how things are turning out. The question is, if Philippians is calling to us and saying that our lives are actually not about the circumstances. Our lives are about so much more than our circumstances and that our lives are an opportunity to allow the good news of who Jesus is to come, up, come to bear upon our lives and come to bear upon our story so that it transforms us from the inside out. And that we would recognize that our life is not just about what's going on around us, but what God is doing in and God is doing through us. Because this life that we live, whether it's, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years long on this planet, regardless of how many days we get on this earth, Christ calls out to us and and, and tells us that our life can be lived for his glory for eternity. 
that, that this life is a opportunity and a dress rehearsal for what is to come, where what we do in this life actually matters for what we're going to experience in eternity. And Jesus is inviting us to lift up our eyes beyond the things that we so often chase in our cultural context, trying to be the thing that we think that we are supposed to be when Jesus says, I've actually got so much more for you. So this morning, we're going to dive into the book of Philippians together. I want to encourage you to grab uh, your scripture journals, if you have one of those, or your Bibles and open up. We're going to go to Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to cover two verses today, because this is Mosaic, and that is what we do here. We take our time through the scripture. Um, So Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul starts off this way. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. I love that he begins so simplistically and yet so beautifully with who he is because of Christ. He says, uh, this this letter is coming from Paul and Timothy is with me. And if you want to know who we are, we are servants of Jesus Christ. Everything in our life is about him. Everything in our life is about living for him and for his purposes and for his name and for his glory. And so Paul and Timothy, if you want to know who we are, what our pedigree is and why we can write this letter to you, it's because we're serving Jesus. Now, where was Paul during this time? Uh, Church historians uh, have traced the life of Paul and there's a couple of ways that you can look at this. Uh, It is possible Philippians comes to us at the very end of Paul's life before Paul gives his life as a martyr. Uh, And it is also very possible that this letter is written while Paul is in Rome under house arrest before he would possibly get released and then re-imprisoned before that death. From a timeline perspective, where we've kind of chosen to go on this is that Paul is under house arrest Uh, We know he's in prison one way or the other. We know he's in Rome one way or the other. It says that uh, at the end of uh, the letter in in Philippians chapter 4, verse 22. He says, uh, everyone in Caesar's household greets you. So we know that he's in Rome at this time. Uh, But but the direction that we're taking this is that Paul is uh, in Rome. He's under house arrest. He's going to be released eventually, but then he'll be re-imprisoned. And then he'll give his life as a martyr for Jesus. And so Paul, Timothy is with him in Rome. Uh, Timothy is probably helping him in terms of the gospel work that uh, needed to be done there. Um, Paul is uh, writing back to this church in Philippi, uh, partly as a thank you letter, a thank you note for uh, a a financial gift that the Philippian church had sent his way. Uh, When you're in prison in Rome, when you're under house arrest in Rome, Uh, during this time, you would have been very dependent on other people supporting your needs. Uh, It's not like uh, the the prison system system is today in the United States where uh, at least uh, meals are provided for uh, at a very minimum. In a Roman prison, if you didn't have somebody to love you or care for you or take care of your financial needs, you'd starve to death. And so Paul has been given a gift from the church in Philippi. And in part, this letter is a thank you note for that gift. But in the midst of that, Paul is going to be writing into their cultural context, into their story, years after Paul had planted that church 
in Philippi. So Paul says, uh, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. So Paul is writing to the whole church in Philippi. He's including the overseers or the elders. He's including the deacons. He's including the saints or the believers. And he's saying to all the Christians who are in Philippi, the leaders, uh, everybody who's a part of God's church in Philippi, I'm writing this letter to you. And we remember that the church in Philippi was planted by Paul on his second missionary journey. If you want to read kind of how that went down, you can read in Acts chapter 16 uh, about that. And man, it is incredible the work that God does as God leads Paul and Silas into Philippi. Uh, The first person he encounters there uh, is a woman named Lydia. Uh, She is a God-fearer. She's a wealthy merchant. She's selling uh, and dealing in goods of purple, which during that time uh, was a very, uh, it was a wealthy person's uh, color that they would want to purchase things and die for. And and so Lydia was a wealthy merchant businesswoman, uh, most likely a Roman citizen, um, but she was a God-fearer, which means she must have had some connection with Judaism and knew who the God of Israel was and lived her life believing that he is God. And so Paul Uh, encounters Lydia. He shares the gospel with her and she becomes a Christian. Uh, Paul and Silas, they continue their ministry uh, in Philippi. And as they're going about preaching the gospel, there is a demon-possessed slave girl that is following uh, the ministry of Paul and Silas. And uh, Paul and Silas put a stop to the the, the demon-possessed prophesying or fortune-telling that she is doing Uh, as she is following after Paul and Silas, they lead her to Jesus. The demon is cast out of her and she no longer continues to fortune tell as a result of that. Well, her owners, uh, her masters, the slave owners that she was uh, 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 profiting with her uh, demonic gift, they were pretty upset because now their source of income was removed from her gift of being able to tell the future. And because of that, they got so angry at Paul and Silas, they threw him into jail. And we know that as they're in jail, Paul and Silas, they're worshiping Jesus. This is all recorded in Acts chapter 16. And God does a miracle and breaks open, supernaturally breaks open the prison doors. And when the jailer sees this, he's like, oh no, we're going to have some escapees uh, on my hands. And that would have been punishable for the jailer. He, He would have been put to death. For that, And so he's getting ready to fall on his sword, to commit suicide in that moment, rather than perhaps be fed to lions or whatever might happen to him uh, under Roman law. And, and Paul stops and says, no, 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 we're not going to go anywhere. Don't kill yourself. I actually have somebody I want to tell you about. His name is Jesus. And so this Philippian jailer becomes a Christian in that moment. In fact, scripture records all of his household become Christians in that moment. And this is the birth of the Philippian church. And I love that years later, Paul is writing back to this church in Philippi that Paul had put a ton of love into, uh, not just in the moments of his ministry, but also by far through, through writing this letter. Paul is very fond of this church. And this church has developed and this church has grown so that it's not just a few converts, but now it's an established church with uh, spiritual leadership and authority with elders and deacons and and that there is a growing uh, church of Jesus uh, in Philippi, which is a beautiful 
thing to see. So Paul says to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. You know, Philippi was a very interesting city. And as Paul is writing back into this city, he knows that the followers of Jesus are surrounded in a cultural context that is unique within the Roman Empire. So the city of Philippi uh, was a Roman colony in Europe, and it was a rare city that had a status of of tax-free living um, under the Roman government, under this colonization of Philippi. So what would happen is after long service to Rome, uh, whether people were in military or in government or uh, other people who had strong connections within the empire, they would be given plots of land uh, throughout the empire to go and settle in. And Philippi was one of the places where people who were very loyal to Rome and did a good job for Rome and Rome uh, was thanking them. They would uh, give them land and send them to Philippi and they'd live the rest of their lives tax free. How many of you guys, that sounds pretty good to you guys? Yes. Well, uh, Florida is a state that is kind of similar to that in this regard, that Florida does not have a state income tax. And so what does that mean about Florida? It means that people come and retire here, don't they? How many of you guys know someone who's retired in Florida? And all God's people said, of course I do, right? Um, Florida is a retirement state and the, the, the tax structure of our state is a huge part of that. And so Philippi ends up becoming kind of like, you know, the villages, like Rome's friendliest hometown. You know what I mean? So, so, so Philippi is this place where if you were really, really, someone really enjoyed that one. I appreciate that so much. Um, so Philippi is this place that if you were a loyal Roman citizen, especially if you worked in military or government, you'd go there, you'd live out your retirement tax-free. And not only that, they built the city to really be modeled after Rome. So all of the comforts and conveniences that you would have been used to in Rome in terms of temples you could worship at or uh, coliseums or theaters or all the types of things, the baths, all the things that you might be used to in, in the city of Rome, you got to experience when you retired in Philippi, except for it was a lot less of the hassle of living in Rome with all the political tensions and etc. And so Paul is writing back to this church of people who are now followers of Jesus after Paul has proclaimed, hey, um, I know in, in our Roman culture, we like to say that Caesar is Lord, but actually Jesus is Lord. How popular do you think the Christians might have been within a retirement context where people are loyal to Rome and loyal to Caesar because Rome has treated them well and now they're retiring in this tax-free environment. How popular do you think following Jesus was in that place? Probably not very popular, right? And so Paul is writing back to this Philippian church and he's saying to them, listen, this world that you're living in, there is an ethos that says, if you're loyal to Rome, that life will go well for you. There was a a phrase that the the Roman Empire used called Pax Romana, which just means the peace of Rome. And Rome, the way they would establish peace is their mighty military would go and they would conquer people groups. And then they would uh, uh, enslave some of the people. And then some of those people were allowed to live in that space as long as they continued to be colonized and continue to pay tax uh, as well. And so these, these people were here. They are 
they are settling in Philippi to experience the good life that Rome has to offer if you are loyal to Rome. They're, they're here experiencing the benefits of Pax Romana, that as long as the Roman Empire continued, as long as Caesar was Lord, as long as all was well within Rome, all would be well within Philippi, and their lives were dependent and connected to the culture of Roman peace. And so when Paul is writing to this bunch of Christians in Philippi, who were probably not very popular for what they believed in their cultural context. What Paul knows and understands because he is sitting under house arrest in a prison cell awaiting trial from Caesar, he knows that following after Jesus doesn't necessarily make this life any easier. So the Philippian church is here looking around at all those people who don't follow Jesus, whose lives are easy and flourishing. And if the Philippian Christians are asking the question, what defines my well-being? If the answer is circumstance, they're in for some trouble. If they, like the rest of humanity, defines well-being as uh, that, that they're experiencing joy and peace and happiness and contentment with very little uh, tension in their lives, very little uh, uh, persecution or any of those types of things, they're going to be sorely disappointed. So what Paul does is he writes a letter to the Philippian church and highlights the fact that they are called to live their lives for Jesus in a manner in which they recognize that the circumstances that they face whether good or bad, positive or negative, experiencing physical peace or physical hardship, whatever it may be, that living life for Jesus is worth it. And here we sit 2,000 years later in the United States of America, one of the wealthiest nations of the world. Here in the United States, we have enjoyed much of the benefits of peace much of the prosperity that comes from peace, though our military has sacrificed greatly, and thank you for those who have served in the United States military, have sacrificed greatly to secure that peace. Sure, you can clap for that. You can clap for that. What Paul is going to say is that there's actually a peace that is more beautiful, more real than Pax Romana, than peace here in the United States of America. It's an eternal peace that can be found in Jesus. So Paul continues, Philippians chapter one, now in verse two, he says this. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. We, we just sang about grace, this glorious grace of God that is given to us in Jesus. I think uh, culturally speaking, when we think of grace, a lot of times it's like, you're cutting me slack, right? Um, can you just give me a little grace? I'll have that report to you by tomorrow morning. Or officer, I didn't notice that four-way stop in Oakland that Joel always talks about. 
Uh, I, Joel warned me, but I didn't notice it. Um, can you give me just a little bit of grace for rolling through that stop sign? A lot of times that's how we kind of think about grace is like leeway, right? But God's grace is so much more glorious than just a little bit of leeway. We could define grace as the unmerited love of God, which both forgives us and transforms us. See, the grace of God is not just him cutting us slack because we don't measure up, which we don't measure up, that's true. But that he loves us in the midst of that and he doesn't just leave us there, but he actively works within our story to transform us into his likeness, making us less like us and more like Jesus, which is what we need. Culturally speaking, everyone says, yes, you be you. Please don't. (laughs) Be like Jesus, because that is who the world needs. It's more of Jesus. And so grace is not simply cutting slack, but it's God's unmerited love towards us and the transforming power that he works within our lives so that we can be free from sin and overcome sin and look more and more like Jesus as we confess our sin, repent of our sin, turn from our sin and look into his eyes and say, Jesus, I wanna be more like you. Will you transform me from the inside out? And Jesus is saying, That's what I'm in the business of. That's what I do. So Paul says grace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But he says grace and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says this in John chapter 14. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He continues in John 16, 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So so this grace and this peace, which are really interconnected, This grace and this peace that is offered to us from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ is not something that says, if we have this, then our life is going to be a lot easier. That that our problems will go away. That the the complexities of the world around us will, will become simple all of a sudden. That the grace and the peace that Jesus offers us is by definition in the midst of a world that is falling apart. In the midst of our recognition that we don't have what it takes to navigate through this life on our own. When Paul was praying to Jesus, asking Jesus to remove the thorn in his flesh, and theologians don't know exactly what that was. There's a lot of debate over what it could have been, but obviously it's not good, right? Anybody ever had a thorn in their flesh and said, I like this, I think I'll keep it? No. You said, get this thing out of here, right? And so Jesus uh, responds to Paul as he's prayed, not once, not twice, three times, Jesus, please take this thorn uh, uh, in my flesh, out of my flesh. And what does Jesus respond? My grace is sufficient 
For you, my power is made perfect in your weakness. So, so then Jesus later on says, peace I give to you, peace I leave to you, not as the world gives, not Pax Romana, and Jesus is living under Pax Romana in Galilee, under the Roman Empire, under a client king named Herod that Rome had installed. Jesus is living under that and he's saying, I'm not leaving you peace like the world gives, like Rome gives. I'm leaving you a peace that goes beyond the difficulties that you will face in this life. You will face them. We always like, we talk about, you know, just hang on to the promises of God, okay? Well, one of those promises is that we're gonna have tribulation. One of those promises is that all who desire to live a godly life will suffer persecution. You wanna hang on to that promise? I really don't. (laughs) I would like to let go of that promise, right? But when along with that promise comes peace I, I leave, peace I give, you will have trouble in this life, but take heart because I have overcome the world. That transcends our circumstances. That transcends what may be going on from a geopolitical perspective. That transcends generation after generation after generation after generation of men and women who have lived in a sinful planet where sins have been committed against each other, where we have committed sins against one another and against God, where we have walked in a world that is anything but peaceful in and of itself. Jesus comes along and says, I have grace and I have peace for you. And so what Paul is saying in Philippians to the Philippian church is that when we live our lives in accordance with the grace of God that is freely given to us, though we do not deserve it, that leads us into a peace which the world cannot comprehend because now the circumstances of our lives no longer dictate our well-being, but instead what dictates our well-being is the one who sits on the throne in heaven and who has said, my grace is sufficient for you. My peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. And I have overcome the world. Man. So how is grace and peace what, what we get from the greeting of this letter where Paul is just literally saying hello to the Philippians. How is this grace and peace going to show itself throughout the letter of Philippians? Well, let's preview that together. Philippians is just one of those books, guys. There's so much in it. This is a sample set. I could have gone a lot further in this, but let me give you some highlights of the beauty of this letter. And actually, I would challenge you this as well. Philippians is four chapters long, okay? It will take Mosaic months and months to preach it, but it will take you minutes to read it. I challenge each and every one of you, read the whole book of Philippians this week. Read it over and over and over again. 
Let the word of God speak to your life. Let the word of God saturate your heart and your mind. Let the word of God penetrate your soul. Let the word of God change you from the inside out. Philippians is a great place. If you've never done that before, it's a great place to start. If you are a seasoned follower of Jesus and you've written Bible studies on Philippians, let it saturate your heart. And everybody in between, we can all grow and we can all learn as we allow the word of God to wash over us, to speak grace and peace to us. So that's your challenge this week. Go do it. Go do it. We all have time for what we care about. For whatever we want to watch on TV, whatever we want to look at and read on our phone, we have time for what matters to us. I don't have time to read the Bible. Yes, we all have time to read the Bible and allow it to change us and transform us. So there's my challenge for you. And I want to give you a little bit of a highlight of what you'll experience if you go through these four chapters throughout this week. Here's some of the things that Paul says in Philippians. He says things like, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Where Paul is going to recognize that this life that we live is in service to Jesus. But when that service is complete, when we die, guess what? We gain Christ. What wonderful and glorious news. And who is this Christ? Who is this Jesus? In Philippians chapter two, the, the, the uh, Christ hymn, as it's called, we'll learn about in Philippians chapter two, the deity of Christ, that he is fully God, that, that we we will experience in Philippians chapter two, his incarnation, that he, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality, equality with God a thing to be grasped or held onto, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a, a servant. So he becomes in human likeness, God made flesh. So we'll learn about the incarnation in Philippians. We'll learn about Christ's obedient life, that he was perfectly obedient to the Father, even obedient unto death, death on a cross. And that after, after his death on the cross, on the third day, he was resurrected from the dead. And then he ascended to sit down at the right hand of the Father. So he is resurrected and exalted and enthroned. We're going to learn in Philippians that it is God who works in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. We're going to learn in Philippians that even in the midst of all of our circumstances, God is transforming us to want God more. What a cool thing. God is making us want God more. That's awesome because we need him. He's the one being in the universe that when he gives more and more and more of, ourself, of himself to us and he demands us to come to him with his worship, that he's not doing that from his own ego. But he's doing that out of his goodness because we need him more than anything else. And God works in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul's going to remind us several times to rejoice in the Lord always. Paul's going to say in Philippians that what he once thought gain, he now counts as loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. Many of us have experienced that. We've experienced that life where we've pursued our own pleasures, pursued our own joys, pursued our own way, 
fought for our own life and our own divinity, and then we surrendered our need to Jesus. Paul will say that his, at his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And for, the, for those of us who bow our knee in this life and confess in this life, that we will reap the joy and the beauty of knowing Jesus, our Lord. And we'll look back at what was before and say, I consider all of that rubbish. How beautiful. Paul's gonna say that he's gonna press on toward the goal of the upward call of Christ. He's gonna say that he wants to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. Paul's even gonna say that he wants to share in the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like Jesus in his death to somehow attain the resurrection from the dead. What a prayer to pray. What a prayer to pray. That's challenging to me. Do I really wanna know Christ? I wanna know the power of his resurrection. Do I wanna know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings? Becoming like him in his death. And through that, to obtain the resurrection from the dead. Wow. We're going to learn in Philippians that our citizenship is in heaven. It's not in Rome. It's not in Pax Romana. It's in heaven. That our primary citizenship as followers of Jesus is with him. And we are blessed if we are here and we have United States citizenship. We're blessed to have that. I'm so thankful for it. But I'm also thankful that I'm called to a different kingdom. That I'm called to a kingdom with a perfect king who rules and reigns. And one day he will return and he will establish his kingdom once and for all in a new heaven, in a new earth, and we will rule and reign with him. What a beautiful picture of eternity that helps us make sense of this life. So I want us to turn to Philippians chapter four as I wrap up our time together today, just previewing the beauty of what we have to look forward to. Paul says in Philippians chapter four, starting in verse four, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. We should all like post that on our computer screens and on our keyboards and on our phones before we post anything on social media. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That would cut out a lot of our online traffic, I think. Here's what he says. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what will the result of that be? Verse seven, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, better than Pax Romana, better than the peace we experience here in the United States. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace that Jesus offers is a peace that actually doesn't even make sense if we're looking at the world around us to tell us if our well-being is intact. It doesn't make sense. 
but that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guards our hearts and minds from whatever may come. In Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Paul says, what you have learned and received and heard in me, practice these things. The things that we see written down in scripture, the things that we see from Paul's life, as we practice those things, what, what is Paul saying is going to happen? The God of peace will be with you. Man, what an encouragement. What a blessing to know that Christ has done a work and is doing a work in us that transcends our circumstances, that transcends the temporal nature of this life and goes into eternity. I love what our creative team did with this video that they filmed. And let's just give a hand for them because they're awesome. And they serve us in hundreds of ways behind the scenes. But what our creative team did in filming this, they took a geode, which is so cool. A family in our church had this and uh, they, that we, we used it. And on the outside of this geode is just this rock that's just rough and it's sharp it's heavy. I mean, geode is heavy. I would have brought it out here, but I'm not that strong. I don't do CrossFit or anything like that. So, um, but on the outside, it's rough and it's difficult. And it really just helps to us to visualize and see the reality of this world that can be harsh and cold. And that, that because of the sin on this planet, that it can be demanding and demeaning. It can be demoralizing. And the world that we live in is not by nature set up for our peace, but that within that, God has, because of the goodness of creation, because of the beauty of creation, there is beauty in it. There is things in this life that are enjoyable and wonderful and God's good grace in our lives. But that when the light of God shines on this world that we live in, that the eternal nature of our life, the eternal opportunity of our life, to live not just for this life, but for eternity presents itself in all of its wonder and its beauty. And Jesus says, come and follow me. And when you live for me and for my glory, your life is not insignificant, but it matters. And so what we are walking into in the book of Philippians is recognizing the beauty of the call of God on our life, knowing that our significance, our value, and our worth does not depend on our circumstances. It doesn't depend on our past. It doesn't depend on our present or our future in this world and in this life, but it depends on the grace and peace that is offered to us through God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for the beauty that is found in your word. God, I thank you for the book of Philippians. And I ask that as we enter into it this week, as we read over and over and over this week, the words that you penned through the Apostle Paul to a church in Philippi with which we have much in common. 
I pray, God, that we would be impacted and transformed and changed by the beauty that is found in your word. When we recognize that grace and peace comes only from you. And that because of who you are and of what you've done and what you've invited us into, the life that we get to live is significant and it matters. Not simply for the circumstances that we face and the realities around those circumstances, but it matters for your glory, for your name, and for your fame, and for your renown, for all of eternity. So Jesus, help us lift our eyes to you, knowing that we will struggle, knowing that we will fail, knowing that we will fall, but that your grace is sufficient for us and that you have left us your peace and that you have overcome the world. So we look to you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.